I came back from seeing the barber, and my ever-encouraging wife looked at me and said, why did you do that? <laughs> and to which I replied, it was cheap. Amen? <laughs> I love you guys. You understand. Um, I would like to start from a story of the Bible where Jesus is coming down from a mountaintop. You could say then when he was there, he definitely had a mountaintop experience with some of his disciples. And he makes his way down, and you might know this story. He meets a man. He meets a father. And the father has a desperate need. The father has a son in a, with a terrible condition of epilepsy. And he's begging Jesus to do something. Now, to make the story a little bit more interesting, the disciples who were left at the base of the mountain, the, the man originally brought it to the disciples first, and they couldn't, they couldn't help. So this man was feeling somewhat defeated, and now he comes to Jesus, and he says, help us, please. If you can do anything, have mercy on us and help us. Now, Jesus hears this, and he zones in on one word. That one word sticks out to him. You might even say it's a deal-breaking word. You guys know what that word is? It's if. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but I imagine Jesus, he's like, if? If I can, really? If? If I can help you? He, he's making a big deal out of this word, if. Now, I, I'm bringing up this story because there's a, there's a bunch of questions that, that come out, at least for me, from this story. And, and I imagine they might be questions that you can relate to. The first one is like, if I were there, and Jesus wanted my opinion. I, I might say, Jesus, respectfully, you're making a big deal about the if. You're making a big deal about this man's faith. But don't you think that what's more important is the healing of this son with the terrible condition of epilepsy? Why, why are you focusing on the? Why is the faith of the man so important? I might say that. So my first question is like, why is faith that important? Why is faith such a... Why does God make such a big deal out of faith? You ever wonder that? Why, why, why is that important? And my, maybe my first question to Jesus is like, why is faith right now from this man so important? Well, Jesus says to the man, and he, makes it, he goes, if, if, if I can... And then he says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And so it seems to me that by Jesus saying that, he, he wants the man to decide. You know, no, no more wishy-washy. No more, no more if. No more what one foot in, one foot out. If I, all things are possible to the one who, do you believe I can do this? Jesus wants commitment to the faith that he can do it. Now, I'm going to pause and ask another question. Why is that important? Why is Jesus asking for total commitment? Now, let me, 
in the Bay Area, probably around the world, in the Bay Area, this is a, a pretty relevant question. There's a lot of people who are stuck on the if. You know what I'm talking about. And this is how the thinking goes a lot. It goes like this. Look, I know a lot of people who are way smarter than me, and they don't believe. And I know a lot of people who are way smarter than me, and they do believe. So that means I'm not as smart as these guys. I'll never really know for sure. And if you can never really know for sure, then don't be extreme. Don't bet the farm on one or the other. Just kind of be on if and live on if. And just be undecided. And there's a word for that, and it's called agnosticism. It's a hard word to say. <laughs> why decide? So Jesus, why is it important to decide? Why are you calling this man to actually step out and make a decision? So the man responds. He says, and I think this is how he would say it. He would say, I believe. I think a lot of people here would say the same thing. I I, I believe. But, but there's a second part. He goes, but, but help my unbelief. <laughs> so let me just pause and, and ask, can you relate to this man? I believe and I doubt. I have faith and I doubt. In this story, apparently that's enough for Jesus. And Jesus goes to work and he heals the son but I have to wonder out loud, is that, enough for, is that enough for us? Is there a place for us if we doubt? Like, can we still call ourselves believers if we have doubts? And what's the difference between a believer and a non-believer if I struggle with doubt? So today we got a bunch of questions that we are working through today. Now, let me just tell you, turn to your neighbor. Uh, these are the three questions, okay? Number one, why is faith so important to Jesus? Number two, can I just be undecided and stay there? Number three, can I be a Christian and still have doubts? Just turn to a neighbor. I just want to know, like, what's, what's on your mind? Is there one of these three questions that you actually wonder about? Is there one of these three questions that hold more relevance for you? Go ahead and, and discuss. Why is faith so important? Can I just be undecided? Can I be a Christian and still have doubts? Turn to a neighbor and share. Go ahead. All right. Uh, question number one. It's not really in the order that I, I put it in, but number one, number one. Can I just be undecided? Now, again, this is the thinking, and uh, I'm sure we can relate to that. You're like, look, I know people smart people, smarter than me, and they believe. And I know other people, smart people, smarter than me, and they don't believe. So there's no way you can know. So if you, you, there's no way you can know, then why be extreme? Why bet the farm on one way or the other? Because you can't really know. Now let me say this. This is kind of a scary thing. I think this sort of thinking has kind of crept into the church. And, and the, the thinking here is like, you know, I... I can't prove once and for all that Jesus is real and that all that he says is true. So it's probably best for me just to kind of hedge my bets a little and play it safe. Like, go in, but don't go all in. You know, give a little time to church, but don't be extreme. Give a little of your money away, but you got to hold back some because you could be wrong. 
And if you were wrong, then, you know, you, you lose a lot. You lose all the things you sacrifice. Uh, now, I, I love this illustration that comes from John Omberg, but he says, uh, he says, when you read the scripture, uh, in, in a sense, being undecided, I guess you could say it sort of makes sense, but if you are reading the scripture, um, it, it really has a sort of situation like this. Pretend each of you are in a building, you're on the 10th floor, and it's burning. The building is on fire. Now the elevator is melted, and the stairs have collapsed, and you're right here uh, at, at, at the windowsill, and you're looking down. Fire in the background. You're on the ledge. You're on the very edge. Now you're looking down, and there's 10 firemen. There's 10 uh, 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 firemen, and they have a blanket. And they're like, like they're, they're, they're saying, jump down, right? And you're looking down, and you're looking, and you're looking at the fire, and you're looking at the blanket, and you're thinking, the blanket looks a little thin. And these firemen, they just came, it looks like they just came back from celebrating, like, Oktoberfest, you know? And so, and they're saying, jump down. And you're like, you know, it looks a little thin. I think I'm just going to play it safe and stay in the building because that looks a little thin. And, and the illustration is like, everyone is here on the edge. And you, you can't play it safe, have one foot in and one foot on the blanket. If you're going to go, it's total commitment. You got to go. Now, wh why is that? The Bible's very clear what's at stake. Like, our bodies are like a building that's on fire. Our time is short. There is a heaven, which means the choices you make in this life has eternal consequences. The, 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 the consequences are staggering. And, and, and if you actually stay in the building, there are eternal consequences. And the conse there's a hell. And the consequences are staggering. You have everything to lose if you're wrong and you stay in the building. But if you're going to have faith, you got to go all in. You got to go all in. You got you to gotta jump. And that's why we're talking about is really important because there's so much that's at stake. If everything that Jesus said is true and I don't believe and I don't invest with everything I have, then I stand to lose everything. That's why this is really important. That's why you can't be undecided. Because if you're undecided, that in itself is a decision. And you're staying in the building, and the building's burning down. The scripture doesn't give you the choice to play it both ways. You're either all in, or you stay in the building. Some of you are on that ledge. Some of you want to play it safe. I just imagine the Lord saying, no, you got to go all in. There's no if. You cannot stay on the ledge of if. You got to take the jump. You got to take the jump. And I love you guys, and as your pastor, I'm saying, as one of your pastors, I'm saying, we got to take the jump. We got to go all in. We got to go all in together. All right, here's a, the, the, another question, which is this. Can I still call myself a Christian? If I have serious doubts. And what's the difference between a non-believer and a serious doubter? What's the difference? All right? It's a good question. Um, 
if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 11. And uh, I want to introduce the story of this man. Um, now, if you think of all the, the, the heroes of the faith in the Bible, we're talking about spiritual giants, you know? You know, you just, you just, there's this, this pantheon of just this spiritual giants, right? I, I would say, if I were to make a list, like a very short list of people who need to have unshakable faith, right? This person would definitely be in like top three, top five, you know? Uh, this person needs to have unshakable faith. And uh, did you know that this person that we're talking about was called the greatest prophet to ever be born of a woman. Now the person who called them that was Jesus. That's even way more credibility. And the reason why I think Jesus called him uh, the greatest prophet to ever be born of women is because of his message and his role. His message, which is super, super important, was to identify Jesus for who he was and prepare the way. So it's super important. If you need someone with unshakable faith, God, it's got to be John. Got to be John. John, like top three, right? And so John had this incredible ministry, and it, it says that all of Judea at one time went to go see John. And you imagine this thousands of thousands of people out and, and listening to John in the wilderness, a booming voice. He got this one message, and that one message is this After me, there is going to come someone, I'm paraphrasing, so amazing and so mighty that I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie this person's sandals. I don't know, maybe that got a laugh, but it, it certainly drew a picture. And that was John's role. His driving message, after me, there is coming someone. Now the people know, there's echoes of this, this person is the Christ, this person is the Messiah. Now I want you to imagine... That's your message, day after day, month after month. You've been living this. You've been eating locusts and wild honey, and, and you dress really, really weird, but it's because you want the message to get out, and you're preaching this, and thousands of people. This is your message and your core message. And then the definitive, the day that you've been waiting for all your life is here, and Jesus shows up on the scene. Now, there's thousands of people, right? And John's looking at Jesus. Jesus is not wearing, like, robes. He doesn't have, like, resume. doesn't have the fancy haircut. He's just, like, visually, he's like ordinary dude. But just imagine, all his life, his core, and then he sees Jesus, and everything inside him is like, that's the man, that's the man, that's the man. He just knows it. And so he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, he was not like, I'm 99%. He was like, he was like proclaiming it, you know, like, this is the man, everything, this is the man. Now, at this point, it might be a good time to define what faith is, because I think this is a perfect illustration. Faith is seeing through your spirit what your eyes cannot see. Faith is seeing through your spirit what your eyes cannot see. I'm getting this from Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. What do assurance and conviction have in common? Spiritual sight. What do things hoped for and things not seen have in common? You can't see it with these eyes. You put that all together. Faith is seen in your spirit 
what you can't see with your eyes. That was John. Another way of saying it is he just knew. He just knew. This is John's mountaintop experience. You know, you imagine him baptizing Jesus and his hands are trembling, you know. And then after he baptizes him, he sees heaven open up and a dove of the Holy Spirit come down and rest on. And now he couldn't see with these eyes. He was seen with the eyes of his. He was seen through the eyes of faith. And that was his mountaintop experience. And let me just pause and ask you. Did you guys ever have a mountaintop experience? Time when it just, it was just, it was so clear. You just, you just knew. You just knew God is real. You just knew. I mean, even, even to the point where you can't explain, you just know. Because you're seeing it with here, with the eyes of your, of your spirit. I think of our uh, former, former chairman of the board, Kevin, as he was telling this story. I think he was a non-believer at the time, or he was a seeker, and he's just reading the Bible. And he's reading the Bible, and the way he describes it is just, I just knew it was true. I just knew. What is that? It's faith. Where were you when you just knew it was true? Were you at a conference? Were you praying? Were you reading the Bible? Were you at a retreat? Did you witness your child being born? Were you taking a shower and it just, and suddenly, and you just, you just know. That's faith. That's faith. That's the mountaintop. And here John just knew. He just knew. Now something funny happens to John. It's not funny at all. Turn of events. You know, John was the kind, he would not hold anything back, you know. He would stand up to Donald Trump and Putin. You know, he, no, he wouldn't hold. And so the king of that region, King Herod, was, uh, he stole his brother's wife. He was living in adultery. John called him out. Wasn't afraid to do that. Probably called him out in front of a lot of people. And King Herod did not like that. He was not having that. And so he took John and he threw him in jail. And so John was rotting in jail. And here is where the story picks up. But let me just point this out. John was on the mountaintop and he had faith and he had clarity. Now John is in the valley. He is in jail. And maybe one of the things we need to learn is whatever you have seen on the mountaintop is going to be tested in jail. What you see with clarity now or yesterday or in a previous season, at some moment you will be in the valley. And it's the valley of doubt. And if it happened to John, it'll probably happen to you. John, who at one moment was surrounded by thousands of people listening to his booming voice, and now he's in jail, and he hears dripping water and stony silence. And in the silence of God, these thoughts keep coming. They keep coming. And maybe he's thinking, are they from myself? Are they from Satan? And I think maybe the thought started small, and it started like, John... What if you were wrong? What if you were wrong? And you led thousands of people astray. And they're now chasing after the wrong man. John, what if you were wrong? 
Because you know in the Bible there's something called a false prophet. Maybe you are a false prophet and a really big one. And then John is like looking around, and I don't know if this was a voice. I imagine he was human. He had weaknesses. He's probably thinking, look, the Christ is supposed to come, and he's supposed to fix everything that's broken and everything that's wrong, like injustice in the land, and all the people in jail are supposed to go free, and he's looking around. He's like, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? What is he doing out there? He's not doing anything out there that's affecting my world here. What is he doing? This, this doesn't seem right. Did I get the wrong guy? I think I got the wrong guy. Maybe I got the wrong guy. And so he's getting two of his uh, closer disciples. He's like, come here, come here, come here, come here. I don't know if he was in secret. I, I don't know. Maybe he was ashamed of this. But I think his honest confession is, you know that core message? Remember when I shouted out, behold the Lamb of... I don't know anymore. So I need you to go straight to the source. I need you to go ask Jesus, are you the one? Or should we be expecting someone else? I don't know. Maybe the disciples were shocked. Like, really? But you told me, you know. Yeah, but, but I need you to go. I just need to hear what he's going to say. So these disciples here, they go. Now, I do love this scene. I, I, love, <laughs> I love how Jesus receives the disciple and receives John, you know. You know, what, what Jesus does next when the, he tells the disciples what they need to hear is he, he, he defends John. He defends John. But, but what I think happens, the disciples go to Jesus, and Jesus goes, okay, Lord, what I want you to do is I just want you to stick around a little while and open your eyes and see what's happening. And then after a little bit, maybe it's enough for them to see, he says, now go back and tell John what you hear and what you see. And what, what have they been hearing and what have they been seeing? He's like, blind people are receiving their sight. Lame people are walking. Lepers are cleansed. Deaf people are hearing. Dead people are being raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. Now, what is that, by the way? It's the description of what was happening, of course. But what is that? That's a prophecy from Isaiah. What is Jesus doing? Now, when, when they, they, the disciples, they hurry back and they tell John, and he's quoting Jesus verbatim because they're good disciples, John would have recognized that inst- that's Isaiah. Basically, Jesus is saying, you know what Isaiah said in his prophecy? It's happening. I'm doing it. I'm the man that he was talking about. And then he says, blessed is the man who's not fall away on account of me, which is the positive way of saying that is blessed is the man who trusts me. Jesus is firm. Jesus is gentle. He hears our prayers for help. He's patient with our doubts. He doesn't condemn John. And neither does he condemn you. He doesn't always answer with the speed that we desire. But he always gives us what we need to believe. Now I wonder, when John heard this, was it like, boom, all his doubts, gone. Like calming the, 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 the storm at sea, gone. Or maybe they were gone for a little while, and then the next week they came back. And I wonder if John had to remember the revealed scripture that Jesus gave, and he had to fight those doubts. I don't know. Realistically, maybe it was the latter. I don't know. It could have been done once and for all. But Jesus was giving John what he needed to fight for faith. And he will give you what you need to fight for faith, too. 
Dave Winters was the president of Westmont College for over 25 years, and towards the end of his term, as he was looking forward to retirement, he suffered a disease that robbed him of his sight for three weeks. So for three weeks, he was blind. And then he could see. And so during this uh, very memorable commencement speech, he got up and he said these words. He said, never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. There have been times when you were on the mountaintop, you saw with clarity, you believed. Maybe now you're in jail, maybe now you're in the valley. Do not doubt in the darkness what God has shown you on the light. Never doubt in the valley what God has shown you on the mountaintop. That faith is going to be tested. Maybe it's being tested now. But do not doubt in the valley what God has shown you on the mountaintop. Let's go back to the question, can I still be a Christian if I'm plagued with doubts? And I think the example of John the Baptist is, yes, that happens. John was a believer who had a mountaintop experience, now he's in the valley of doubt. Yes, this happens. What's the difference, though, between unbelief and doubt? Alistair McGrath says this, unbelief is the decision to live your life as if there is no God, but doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. Maybe you do doubt. It's because you've decided by God's grace to believe. John MacArthur says this, doubt is held up as the unique problem of the believer. So there is a difference between someone who doubts and someone who does not believe. Because unbelief is a decision to live your life as if there is no God. Can I still be a believer if I'm plagued with doubts? Yes, but at the same time, what Jesus said to John, he also says to us, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Blessed is the person who puts his trust in Jesus. Jesus understands your doubts, but he also gives you what you need to fight against them. And in this case, he was giving the fulfillment of Scripture to John as something he needed to fight off his doubts. And that leads us to the next question, which is, why does God want us to believe like, what's the value of faith? Like, why is, it, why is it important? Why does Jesus make such a big deal of faith? Now, I'm not sure I can completely, exhaustively answer that question, but I will do my best with the story of a man in Scripture. We have four occurrences in the Gospels of this man, and every encounter has the same voice. This man is Thomas. Now, Thomas, how do I describe Thomas? If I had uh, the classic example of a glass that's, you know, it's half empty, half full. Thomas, what do you see? You know what Thomas would say? Thomas would say, and I'm convinced he would say, I prefer sparkling bottled water. That's what I think Thomas would say. I mean, he's always seeing the negative. He's like a, a tiger parent. Then everything you do is never good enough, right? That's kind of, that's kind of Thomas. He's got that negative edge. So when Jesus was crucified, everyone took it hard, uh, but arguably Thomas took it the worst. And then on the third day, Mary Magdalene comes back and she, she makes this audacious claim that she, she has seen Jesus. And then more women saying the same thing, the guys don't believe. And then Peter says that he saw Jesus. And then another disciple, Cleopas, says he saw Jesus. And then all the crew, <laughs> minus Thomas, 
said they saw Jesus. So one day Thomas wasn't there and Jesus appeared. And, and then when Thomas came back, they're like, Thomas, <laughs> we saw him. Now, I don't know why Thomas said what he said next. I don't know why, you know. I think it has something to do with he was just overwhelmed with grief, and he always sees the negative, and maybe we just wanted to make a point. I don't know why, but it's not too far from the voices that we hear sometimes in the pew, but definitely in the wider world, which is, look, I'm going to believe what I see. I'm going to stake my life on what I am certain of. And the things I'm certain of, the things I can see. And I'm, I'm not going to take this leap of faith and be found to be stupid and foolish and have wasted my life. So he says, look, unless I see, I see the mark in his hands. And unless I take this finger and put it on that mark and then these fingers and put it in his side, I will never believe. That's what Thomas says. And we kind of know him for those words, which is sad because he's actually a really... Uh, I don't gonna say amazing dude, but he's he's a he's he's a dude. He, he's a good guy. I'm sure he's a good guy. He's a good. Guy. He got a, he's got a good heart, is what I meant to say. Now the scripture says eight days later. Uh, next one, eight days later. Now we we, we just kind of read over that eight days later. We keep on going, but I want you to think about that. Eight days later, eight days later. What does that mean? It wasn't the same day. Unless I I will never believe, and then the same day. No 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 no. Eight, so it wasn't the same day, it wasn't the next day, it wasn't three days, eight days. Eight days. Why eight days? I think God was doing something in Thomas. Like, really? He's letting Thomas do in those words. Like, really? Really? You're not going to believe unless you took your finger? Really? All the things we've talked about, the nature of faith, really? You're going to throw that down? Really? Eight days. Now, I, I want to demonstrate uh, what I think is going on and the nature of faith. So let me just, uh, let me just do this, okay? Um, let me put it like this. All right, um, here it is. Here's my statement. Here's my statement. I have in this hand uh, a sum of money. And because of the generous nature of my heart, I want to give it to someone who believes that I would do that. Of course, the sum of money is $5.00. But I want to give that away. Okay, now in a moment I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to see if you believe me that I actually want to do this. Go ahead for all you who believe. This man right here. This man was the first to believe. What is, what is your name? Your name is uh, Paul. Paul. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Now, now listen. This is how Paul's thinking. Paul's thinking, first of all, do I believe that this man can have $5 in his hand? And Paul's like, yeah, I believe that. He probably looks like he owns $5. Ah, but here's the, where the faith comes in. Does he believe that I'm generous enough to want to give and part with $5 to someone else? And he also says yes. He was the first hand of, person to raise his hand because obviously he doesn't know me. <laughs> All the people who do know me better, they hesitated. They're like, I, I don't know. I believe he, he does have the money, but would he really be willing to part with it? He's cheap. He got that haircut because he wanted to save money. He wanted to save $5. He didn't know. You didn't know. You didn't know. This man knew, all right? Now, here's the thing. In a moment, I'm going to destroy this man's faith. Because in my hand, I do have $5. And I'm going to, yes, 
part with the $5 and give it to Paul. He's a good man right here. <laughs> okay, uh, I want to describe what's... I did destroy his faith. I did. Why? Because I showed it to him. It's no longer faith. Faith is believing in here, which you can't see here. The moment he could see here, it no longer became faith. What was it? It was knowledge. When Thomas put his hand, it was like, it wasn't faith anymore. It was knowledge. Right? And God has called us to live by faith. Not the eyes here, but the eyes here. Now I'm going to destroy someone else's faith by saying, I have $500 that I want to give away. Who believes me? Raise your hand. No one believes? Yes, so I'm not destroying anyone's faith. (laughs) Because I'm just not going to do that right now, you know? But faith is believing through your spirit and seeing through your spirit what you can't see you here. It's got to be that way. It's got to be that way or it's no longer faith. If you say, I will not believe unless, 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 then you are saying, I will not live by faith. Thomas, I guess for eight days, said no. Noelle, my daughter, is uh, growing in faith, and one of her honest confessions one day is like, Dad, I do believe, but sometimes I don't. And I said, why? And she said, because I can't see him. Uh, She was in Bible discovery upstairs, learning about doubting Thomas, and Noelle wanted to know, like, why he showed, she was having this conversation with Joycelyn, Why, why didn't he believe? And Joyce said, because some people find it hard to believe in something they can't see. And my daughter said, well, so why didn't he believe? And Joyce Lynn, uh, in, as she was sharing me the story, she felt like it was a Holy Spirit moment. Joyce Lynn goes, I think it's like a woman who's pregnant. And suddenly you can see R- R- uh, Noel going, oh, I understand, right? There's a baby growing inside the mommy's tummy. You can't see it. Imagine someone saying, well, I won't believe until I see it. Okay, then the tummy's getting bigger, and mommy's kind of walking a little funny, and she's craving peanut butter and pickles, and see, there's a lot of things that are real, even though you can't see it with these eyes. And, uh, and, 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 and so for Thomas for eight days was invited to be a person of faith, and he refused. And Jesus came to him, and he gave him what he asked for. Jesus showed up, and they locked the doors. The disciples were together. I'll give Thomas this. He didn't give up. He continued to fellowship with the guys. That's, that's something. And they were in locked doors. Jesus shows up. Thomas, see the, the, the marks in my hands. Take your finger, touch this. Put your fingers in my side. And then Jesus says, don't disbelieve, but believe. And then I love Thomas's, uh, he's, he, he like, he goes, my Lord and my God. That, that's worship. My Lord and my God. Now don't miss this. Don't miss this part. It's what Jesus does next. He says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about everyone here. 
He's talking about all the generations to come after this moment because they will not have seen. And yet we believe. It's an incredible moment. Now, I, I take these words and mean, man, it is better to not see with these eyes and to see with these eyes. It's better. Well, blessed are those. I take that as meaning it's better. You were going by knowledge. Now, listen, I think a lot of you would like, look, I want the experience that Thomas had. I want to put my finger. Do keep this in mind. Thomas was an apostle. And so for generations, he needed to be one of the guys that said, no, 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 I saw through this so that you can see through this. But he, he, he needed to be someone to point to verifiable proof. We're not apostles, but we are called to be blessed because we live by faith. In this life, there is something we absolutely need to be a person filled with joy and peace and love and power, and that is faith. Because without faith, you can't have a relationship with God. You can't please him. Without faith, you cannot take any risks. Christine should not go to Vietnam without faith. In fact, there are so many things that you can't do, shouldn't do, if you don't have faith. There's no guarantee everything's going to work out the way that you want it. But you have to trust that God loves you and God's good and he's out for your good. You have to. Or you will be seriously crippled in this life in so many ways. Without faith, you cannot trade earthly treasure for heavenly treasure, believing that you got the way better deal. You can't do so many things without faith. And that's why Jesus says, so you are blessed because you believe, even though you, haven't, you don't see, because that's the way of faith. That's, it must be that way. Faith is totally necessary. I'd like to end with a question. We've talked about faith being conviction in what you can't see. It's seen through spiritual eyes, what you can't see with physical eyes. Here's the last question. How do I know if I have it? Well, one way, I think there's two measures, two ways. One way is through conviction. You just, you just know. How's that as an explanation? But there's another way. I think this is verified through scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. It's by your actions. You take that jump. Oh, that's, that's kind of proof that you believe. Faith for John was not giving up. Faith for the Father was a confession of faith and a plea for help. Faith for Thomas probably would have been continue fellowshipping with the disciples. And the scriptures talk about the evidence of faith being what you do. So here's my question. Let's personalize it. Let's fill in the blank. If I really believed, you can say this to yourself. If I really trusted in Jesus, if I really bet the farm on Jesus, his promises, his teachings, what he's been saying to me, then I would do what? If you really believed in Jesus, you really believed his promises, then what would you do? Would you get baptized? Would you be way more generous with your time and money? Would you invest in discipling people? Would you go all in? Would you become a member of the church? Would you become a missionary? Would you change your job? Would you go to seminary? What would you do? If I really, really, really believe, then I would what? And however you answer that question is the next step for applying this message. You take the leap, 
Will you say, God, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray. Father, you have called us to live by faith. And we believe, we do believe, we do believe. But we also have doubts. And you are so merciful to John, and you are so merciful to us. Help us to fight. Help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people who have bet the farm on Jesus Christ.